Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New York Giants. This is the Giants Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary and Giants Wire editor, Dan Benton. Welcome to the program. Hard to believe it's episode six of the Giants Wire podcast. I'm Ryan O'Leary, joined as I am each week by Giants Wire editor Dan Benton. Dan, what's good in Giants country right now after another tough one? Well, there's there's not much. I guess what you could take solace in is the fact that we're a quarter of the way through the season. So there's only three quarters left to go. That's pretty much the light at the end of the tunnel right now. It is not fun in East Rutherford. No, we talked about last week. Neither of us really liked the Giants in that game against the Rams. We were worried about how much the Rams would pressure them. I thought they pressured Daniel Jones all night, but they did cover the spread. They did have a chance to tie it late, and uh, we were just talking off the air, though. We're not big fans of moral victories. Is that being pumped in Giants Nation right now? Is like the moral victory chatter? Is that like a thing? Well, I mean, it certainly is. I think really it comes from Joe Judge, and um, I, I don't want to knock the guy for it because you understand that this is a rebuild, and he's just trying to build confidence within his team. And when you can play a Rams team that well, all things considered, uh, you know, I guess you could take something away from it. But sooner or later, you're going to have to win a game or none of this is going to matter. For the fans already, it's out the window. They don't care. They're not interested in the moral victories at this point. They want to win. They've been losing for so long that they're just sick and tired of it. Maybe new to Joe Judge. It may be new to some of these players, but it's not new to Giants fans. And I think that's sort of being lost in translation. All right. So there's actually a lot to get to in this game. I mean, obviously, the fan base is uh, kind of turning on Daniel Jones. You're throwing Twitter polls out there. Should we bench him? I want to talk about that from the Giants Wire Twitter. I saw that. We have Golden Tate getting in a wrestling match with uh, Jalen Ramsey after that game, <laughs> trying to fight each other outside the locker room because of all kinds of family drama, which I need you to get me uh, up to speed on, Dan, later on in the show. But first of all, we got to talk about this offense, right? The defense is kind of holding up its end of the bargain for the Giants. They're, you know, they're middle of the pack, but they're not, they're not killing the Giants. The offense is what's killing them. They have scored three touchdowns in 16 quarters this season, and that is out of control. They settled for three field goals in the red zone on Sunday against the Rams on a day the Rams were gettable, right? The Giants could have got them on Sunday, no doubt. And I want to know who we should blame for the offense right now. Should we blame Dave Gettleman or whoever's in charge of bringing in Jason Garrett? He was the coach of the Dallas Cowboys for all that time. Giants fans know Jason Garrett, right? They know he's vanilla. They know he's kind of unimaginative in his play calling. You look around the league, you look across the sideline at uh, a Sean McVay, we're, yeah. we're seeing Matt LaFleur yeah. in Green Bay, even the Browns who ripped up the Cowboys with uh, Kevin Stefanski, right? We're seeing all these young, new school kind of minds. And the Giants let Jason Garrett sit on the uh, on the wire for like two seconds before they brought him in, before Jerry Jones even seemed to let him go. He was already yeah. in New York, right? So why is Jason Garrett here and how much blame 
should the Giants be taking for bringing this guy in as the offensive coordinator? I think the main reason why they went with Jason Garrett at offensive coordinator is really just to give the experience, the coaching experience to the staff because Joe Judge obviously had none. And I, I think they actually focused a lot of their attention on, on bringing in coaches and assistants who had head coaching experience or higher level experience in the NFL. And, and, I, and I believe that's primarily the reason why they went with Garrett. Of course, you know, the Mara and Tish families are close with Garrett. They've been close with Garrett since his time as a player in New York. Um, so was, there was obviously that connection. You know, there was a level of comfort. Uh, unfortunately, that that has been what gets the Giants in a lot of trouble in recent years, and they can't really seem to buck that trend. Uh, but, I mean, you said it. It's The play calling is extremely vanilla, but it's certainly not the only reason why the Giants' offense is struggling, which is really pronounced by the fact that NFL teams are averaging, or each, I mean, per on a per-game basis, there are higher scores in the NFL right now than there's ever been before. So the fact that the Giants are, are so low on the total pole real really speaks volumes about how bad uh, just a collective unit has been and yeah that does that does fall to the feet of, of Jason Garrett whose play calling has been it's been atrocious I mean if we're being honest it, it's been really bad what has to change in your opinion for for the offense to like get going I mean 11.75 points this season that's what they're averaging you know it's like 11.75 that's crazy and we can't pin it all on Daniel Jones uh, and we know the offensive line struggling we know we, he doesn't have a running game his receivers have been maybe suspect in getting themselves open so we can't just dump on the kid I want to dump on Jason Garrett as you as you know I just don't I just don't know why I mean I understand why he's here now I think that was a good explanation that you just gave the connections to the Mara family and all that but I don't think that's a good way to like run your football team either no, it's not. It's a, it's like I said. It's one of the reasons that the Giants are in trouble right now, and why they've been in trouble in recent years is you know they got to they got to step out of the box, and and they, they seem reluctant to do that. You look at Gettleman, previous ties to the Giants, obviously Garrett, previous ties to the Giants, some other coaches, and they brought back McGee, which to their credit, he has been exceptional. And uh, I really genuinely believe he should be a head coach somewhere down the line. But even before that, you brought in Ben McAdoo, who had been the offensive coordinator previously. Patrick Graham and his defensive coordinator, he had been with the team previously. At some point or another, you've got to pull the plug and start over. They did a good job with Joe Judge, but he's the only one. I agree 100%. All right, so let's get it. What happened with Golden State and Jalen Ramsey, Dan? Why are, <laughs> why are they wrestling each other after the game, body slamming each other during the game, right? Like... There's all kinds of stuff going on, and I know you wrote about it on the Giants Wire, so just like tell me what's going on with the family feud here between these two. Well, I would say the Cliff Notes version is about a year ago at this time, Ramsey openly acknowledged to Dumpin' Tate's sister, who was pregnant at the time. They also had another daughter. It's unbelievable. Uh, he took off of a Las Vegas dancer, and, you know, Tate, those are his two young nieces, his sister. He didn't really take too kindly to that situation. You know, he tweeted out at the time, which the tweet remarkably is still live, that says, you know, he'll have to come see me eventually. It more or less, it's Cliff Notes version of it. You know, Ramsey had said a few things, uh, you know, over the past year. He refused to comment on the week leading up to this game. Tate, you know, didn't meet with the media at all. I, I didn't publish it anywhere, but I, I had made some comments to uh, some friends of mine to, you know, ex expect that stuff to boil over. I fully anticipated a fight at some point during the game, obviously, to I guess if you want to give them credit for it, they waited until after the game. But it did seem inevitable that that was, that was going to come to fruition. Football players love to do that. They do it after the game when everyone can just kind of pig pile on top of each other and you can kind of get <laughs> away with it, right? I mean, I don't know. But that was that was festering. That was festering throughout. And then yeah. you could kind of see it. But if you don't know the backstory, you don't really know what's going on. Now, after seeing the backstory, it's almost, I almost want to rewatch the game and watch Tate and Ramsey going at it because I know during the game they were going at it. They were, they were. There was there were some words shared. I mean, you couldn't hear what they were saying, but I mean, Tate shook Ramsey early on in the game, and 
and you could see him kind of joining each other. And then Ramsey laid that monstrous hit on Tate later on in the game. And again, there were some words shared. And you could see him going back and forth a little bit. I, I would give anything to know what some of the stuff that was being said was. But I'm sure it wasn't good and not anything that could uh, go to air. But again, like I said, I am not surprised that it came to blows at the end. Obviously, the Giants have said that uh, Ramsey hit Tate first and then waited outside the locker room for him, etc. I, I don't know if that's true or not. The Fox cameras cut out to commercial, and obviously with no New York media in the booth and no fans in the stands, we we may never really know what happened there, but I would not be surprised to see both of those players suspended by the NFL. Yeah, what a, what a wrinkle with no fans in the stands that we don't get the footage that we typically would get, right? And that, that's wild. Yeah. That's why we, we, we would see this would be all over Twitter and YouTube right now. It would be. It would be everywhere. You'd see you'd see every angle from about a thousand oh, different man. phones. and But yeah, so unfortunately, we're, we don't know. All we see was the scrum at the end there, and we don't really know how the whole situation played out. But yeah, it was clearly boiling over throughout the game, and it seemed like an, an inevitable end for those two. I think that might be that might be one of the few wins for the Giants here in the first few weeks. Uh, <laughs> Golden Tate trying to punch out Jalen Ramsey. I kind of like that, so right. we'll take it. We'll take yeah, it. there's not there's this, uh, Jalen Ramsey doesn't have a whole lot of fans around the league, so there's so. there's probably quite a few people who are like you know cheering Tate on there. One hundred percent. All right, let's talk about the quarterback here. Coming up, we'll be right back. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit up, start up. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends at a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from TheHuddle.com. Corey Benini with TheHuddle.com here to talk to you about fantasy football strong plays for Week 5. Quarterback Teddy Bridgewater faces the Atlanta Falcons, which is the worst defense of quarterbacks through four weeks. Atlanta has many injuries on the back end, and Carolina has plenty of ways to exploit this defense. It has been so bad, even Nick Foles threw three touchdowns and a half just a couple weeks ago. With Matthew Stafford and Aaron Rodgers on a bye, consider Teddy Bridgewater as a viable starting quarterback. Jacksonville Jaguars running back James Robinson has the best matchup in the league for rushing yards generated. Houston has given up 651 yards on the ground in four games, including six rushing touchdowns. That's one every 20 carries. In addition, running backs have added another touchdown through the air. There's no telling how Houston will respond to the firing of head coach Bill O'Brien this week, but what we do know is this is a prime matchup to be exploited and Robinson should be a running back two in all redraft lineups. Indianapolis Colts wide receiver Zach Pascal has a fine matchup of his own. The Cleveland Browns have given up eight touchdowns in four games against wide receivers. Names on the list include the likes of Willie Sneed, Mike Thomas, no, not that Mike Thomas, and Dontrell Inman. As you can see, that's not exactly a high bar to cross. Pascal will have some ups and downs, and Phillip Rivers has struggled, but this is a great matchup, and he's playable in a pinch. Pittsburgh Steelers tight end Eric Ebron comes back from their premature bye week to face the Philadelphia Eagles. He's a fine gamble for owners who are looking for a fill-in tight end, or even a flex play. Philadelphia has permitted the position to score once every six and a half catches, which is the fourth highest rate. Just four teams have allowed more yards and more catches to the position in 2020, and a little extra time to prepare works in Pittsburgh's favor. Be sure to stay up on the latest news and notes, especially with COVID-19's impact on fantasy football. For more information, check out thehuddle.com. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. 
Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Eli, jumping off that, you guys have scored, I believe, three touchdowns all season, and uh, I don't you haven't scored a touchdown in the last two weeks. I guess, what, what, why do you believe uh, this group can bounce back and, and perform better than that? Um, because we've shown to, uh, you know, we've been able to move the ball and, and, and get down there. I think once we get down there, we need to, we need to execute. I think we got the pieces uh, to do it, and, and um, you know, guys are, guys are playing well. We just need to be more consistent and execute down there in the, uh, in the red area and finish drives. All right, Dan, back to the question on whether the Giants should consider benching Daniel Jones or if that's a question we should be throwing out there and, and kind of – and I know uh, Joe Judge kind of – talked about that and we can get into that too but for me it's like that makes zero sense right I mean what good does it do the Giants to bring in Colt McCoy like if Colt McCoy is warming up on the sideline then it's that's not a good sign for for the Giants there's no there's really no point in benching Daniel Jones right no absolutely not and, and you know I pose the question to get the pulse of the fan base really uh, but you do see a lot of critical takes on Jones right now throughout the media you gotta ask and, that question it's, I, it's out there yeah I, I do find it curious I do find it because you know you just gave the reason why like what do you do who do you go to where do you go from here and it's the same thing that i go back to with the whole tank for trevor lawrence kind of thing it's you know it sounds great it's a nice jingle in the ear it'll get some reads and things like that but you know you plug lawrence into this offense right now really and i said it to you know some readers who email me back and forth and i said it to them as well plug any quarterback throughout history into this offense and do you think it gets better because i don't i don't believe that it does the play calling is terrible the wide receivers can't create any separation the offensive line is inconsistent at best they can't pass protect they can't run block the running game is suspect even though they did play a little bit better last week the tight ends are inconsistent the entire unit is near the league lead and drops they're committing offensive pass interference penalties at the worst possible times running back first downs you know uh, with penalties it's just a disaster from top to bottom so I, I you could plug and play any quarterback you want to in this situation and i can't imagine that they're going to make it any better uh jones has roughly 2.5 seconds to throw his receivers aren't creating any separation at all a league low you know so really what what would you expect this guy to do or anybody else and, and what would the benefit be of sending a guy who's only had 16 starts to the bench you're just going to destroy his confidence and you know that'll be the end of him in new york so there's really no point in doing that yeah and then, and then you waste a six round overall draft pick just yeah that's just yeah. brutal i was going to throw at you like you know what would a, what would a joe burrow look like and you know what i mean like what's a good comp like what, what would joe burrow look like you know a first year guy he's playing kind of well in cincinnati behind a crappy offensive line but he's got pretty good receivers and he's got a good running back yeah. right and i mean so there's always things that we can go back to and say you know man daniel jones he's working at a disadvantage here he really is and on one side of the coin you do want to cut him that slack right you do but you also would hope that you would see the progression right we want to see a, at least something in that year yeah. two that we can latch on to and i think a good comp for him a better comp, maybe Joe, Joe Burrow's probably not the great comp. I think Josh Allen's a good comp, right? A guy drafted number seven overall three years ago. Josh Allen has that one year over Daniel Jones, obviously. But year two, we could kind of see it materializing with Allen. We could see, all right, this kid's on the come. We can see he's got to clean some stuff up, but he's coming. And then, bam, this year he arrived. And yeah. Jones, whether it's because of the pieces around him or whatever, I just I'm not seeing I don't feel like he's on the come yet. I, and I got to see that over the next few weeks and especially towards the end of the season. I got to see the progression. I got to start believing in him because right now I don't see it. Yeah. And I, I've said that in a few articles already since the Rams game. You know, you can point your finger at everything else. But, you know, and that's all well and good. It doesn't you know, it is accurate. But at some point or another, this is the situation that it is. You know, this is this is what Jones has to work with and he's going
going to have to figure it out. Elite quarterbacks will figure it out. It doesn't now, again, I don't think that very many would have any kind of tremendous success in this particular offense for obvious reasons. But at some point or another, no touchdowns, no 300-yard games, that is going to fall on your shoulders and you're going to have to figure it out. Now, we've seen Jones in the last two weeks really kind of pick him up and put him down as far as running the ball and creating his own type of offense and his own type of plays. And maybe that's just what he needs to do. If he needs to shoulder the whole burden, then so be it. But if, you're, if your teammates aren't going to pick you up, you've got to pick them up. One thing I keep going back to, and I do want to drop this line in here because I, I was trashed you know, repeatedly toward the end of Eli Manning's career because the belief was it was all Eli. I think this year we're seeing very clearly that that was a very flawed argument, that it wasn't all Eli, it hasn't been the quarterback, it is not the quarterback, and we can point blame and, and point fingers at the quarterback all we want to, but the Giants have a slew of other issues that are preventing anyone they put under center from having any level of success. I agree. Cannot pin it all on Daniel Jones. But again, I just, where's the yeah. dimes? Where's the dimes, Dan? You know, where's Danny yeah. Dimes at? I mean, since that throw to Slayton, that gorgeous throw to Slayton against the Steelers in week one, I'm waiting for those dimes and I just haven't seen them. So yeah. I just, I need no, and, Danny Dimes. And, and that's, that's a fair criticism because in the last two weeks in particular, Jones has missed open targets and he doesn't get many of them. So when he does have those opportunities and then he goes on to miss them, it is a sign of a clear regression. Now, whether or not that's a lack of trust in his teammates, which he wouldn't, you know, obviously acknowledge publicly or probably even privately, if it is a lack of trust then he's got to go somewhere else. The one big issue that I'm noticing with Jones right now in particular which could factor into the fact that his receivers aren't creating much separation, is that he has a real propensity to stare down his target Mm -hmm. and focus on his first or second read, as opposed to going through his reads rapidly, maybe looking off a safety, looking off a linebacker, uh, things like that. So that is one area that is very noticeable that he needs to clean up immediately. I want to see Daniel Jones. Yeah, we know that the talent around him isn't great. I want to see him start to elevate that and be like, hey, I'm going to start carrying us now. So let's see if he has that in him. I think it'll be really interesting and man what a game we get to break down for this weekend Dan I mean the the worst offensive football against maybe <laughs> maybe an even more terrible defense the Cowboys are yeah. on this like even worse trajectory than the Giants I think defensively so something's got to give if the Giants can't score some points against the Cowboys man we get some big time problems in the NYG right so uh yeah uh, it's there, there's certainly a level of irony in the fact that we're going yeah. into a week five game against Dallas and you're thinking to yourself the Giants have the worst offense in football but here's the great opportunity for them to finally oh break out and score some points. more on that one coming up <laughs> It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of SportsbookWire.com and Bet Slippin' Podcasts, and I'm joined by my colleague Jeff Clark. Here's what you need to know to bet on Week 5 Sunday night football matchup between the Minnesota Vikings and Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks are favored to win by seven points at home. Seahawks plus seven road dogs over under 57 and a half points. Jeff, I know we're both on the Seahawks to win this game and cover the seven points. How do you feel about that over under? 
Yes, and I'm on the over in this game. Both the Vikings and the Seahawks have gone over the total in three of their four games this season. The Vikings have scored 30-plus in three of their four games, and the Seahawks have scored 30-plus in all four games. Also, a nice little trend here. The over is cash in four of the last five Seahawks primetime home games, with the other game being a push. Overs are abundant in the NFL this season. The sportsbooks are starting to take note. This 57-and-a-half figure, way too high. Sunday night football matchup boosting that up as well. Check out sportsbookwire.com for more with all odds from BetMGM Sportsbook. Subscribe to Bet7 Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Dan, so this is so interesting. The Giants go on to play the 1-3 scuffling Dallas Cowboys that got lit up by the Cleveland Browns last week. Gave up 31 points in the first half. Could not stop their third-string running back from running all over them. And it's Jason Garrett's former team, so I don't know if there's any, like... Jason Garrett intel there that the Giants can lean on. As we've been talking about, the Giants have been borderline incompetent on offense. The Cowboys have probably been worse defensively. They've just been terrible. Somehow the Cowboys are getting back by nine points. They're a nine-point favorite in this game. What do you think about this matchup? This thing is this thing's got all kinds of uh, you know pretty fun storylines attached to it. It's such an intriguing matchup for so many reasons that you just mentioned. Is it going to be a shootout or is it going to be a defensive battle? It could go either way. Flip a coin. I honestly don't know. I was going to say I don't think the Cowboys I, can be in a defensive battle, Dan. Yeah, that's what I mean. So I, I think the Giants are more likely to break out offensively than the Cowboys are likely to turn it around they defensively. Have to. They have to. which is which is just surreal when you think about how terrible the Giants are offense has been so far it's just such a strange dynamic that we're going into in this game and i think maybe maybe just maybe the giants will have a little bit of an edge simply because of garrett's familiarity with their personnel not necessarily their systems which have obviously all changed but he will know the personnel he'll know dak prescott's tendencies the things he's most likely to do if anything i think it's actually going to help the giants defense to learn this information than it is going to be to help the giants offense i think as far as the offense goes the giants are just going to have to let it fly and just let the Cowboys be the Cowboys because right now they're just terrible. And, you know, in USA Today Sports Weekly this this week coming up on Thursday, there's a line that, you know, says the Giants are playing like a, a JV team, which is which is absolutely factually accurate right now. But here's the great thing. The Cowboys could not stop a JV offense right now. I agree 100%. I think the Garrett factor plays in on this one. I'm actually inclined to take the points. I want to see how this line moves throughout the week because I think there'll be some action on it because it's such an interesting game. Could go either way here, but I think nine points is way too much. The Cowboys don't deserve to be nine-point favorites. Jump on that. Give me those points. I I agree completely. I would too, and and I think I could be wrong. Maybe you know. Uh, I think the Giants have actually beat the spread three of the four times this week with obviously the exception being that bizarre game game in San Francisco, which makes even less sense considering how well they played the high-powered Rams offense last week. So, I don't know. The no, Giants you, are weird. They're an enigma. They are, and you've been good picking them. You, you've kind of been all over this team throughout, uh, I got to say. Except for last week, we kind of projected a, a blowout coming, and the Giants did a pretty good job against those Rams. So, if they can yeah, just hold down surprising. Dallas a little bit, you know what I mean? Hold them down. I mean, Prescott's out of control, but he's throwing most yeah. of those yards 
when he's down by 20 points. You know, I mean, that's, yeah, that's and you know, that's, that's one of the things that people, you know, they don't want to talk about. Yeah, he's putting up huge numbers, but that's because they're coming from behind every single game and, and, and from a far distance behind, too. It's not like they're, you know, just a little bit behind and he's coming back. He's he's having the chuck and duck basically pretty much from the third quarter on through the, through the end of the fourth quarter. Seriously. And, you know, they're not producing very well in the run game. You know, everybody, you know, wants to talk about Ezekiel Elliott. The guy's averaging less than four yards a carry. And the Giants have actually done better against the run in each of the previous two weeks. So it may be all on Dak Prescott again this week. This is a Cowboys team that doesn't have an identity. They're searching for an identity right now. They don't know what they're good at besides throwing a bunch of passing yards when they're behind. So this is an opportunity. Hey, Dan, if the Giants win this game, we're going to be talking about them making moves in the NFC East. They'll be right there for, like, right around so first place. Weird. <laughs> So let's see. It would be it would be strange to have that conversation, but that's that's the unique nature of the NFC East here in 2020. It's actually very fitting of 2020 as a whole that this is the scenario in the NFC East this year, man. So look, if the Giants don't score, if they don't put three touchdowns on the board, if they're if they're not up in the high 20s and the 30s in this game, we're putting our hard hats on next week and we're coming at them because man, the Giants are going to have they're not going to be able to explain themselves if they can't score against this Dallas Cowboys team. No, this is it. I mean, if you listen, if you can't put up points against this defense, forget about it. You're in trouble. (laughs) Somebody needs to get fired. Opt out. Opt out. Just every, Giants will opt out of the season <laughs> if they don't score against the yeah. uh, Dallas Cowboys. So, Dan, always enjoy doing this with you, my man. Have a great week. You too, man. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.